0: The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Well, here we go. I'm excited to begin this series on the creed. Uh, Let me begin by asking, how many of you grew up saying the creed? Yeah, like in your church tradition, uh, you were were taught the creed, you memorized it. How many of you memorized it? Did you memorize it? Did you say it during worship service? Yeah? Yeah, like, here. here's the creed on the screen. Um, you know, we could talk about some observations we would want to make. Like, you probably can see the structure, right? There's a bit of a Trinitarian structure to the creed. Um, you can, you probably see um, that there are some really important elements of the Christian faith that are included in the creed. But there's also some things that are left out, you know? Like, it doesn't answer every question, um, and, and this morning, I just want to talk about the Creed. I want to provide, provide some background on the Apostles' Creed uh, for a bit. Like, for example, where did it come from? You might ask, you might wonder, where, does, where did the Apostles' Creed come from? Well, here's what I was able to find. As, as early as the mid-100s, the, uh, the early church fathers, they would refer in their writing to this rule of faith, like a, a standard, a, a, a small body of settled truths, and it helped them because, because it was settled. Um, this same set of ideas was it held true whether you are an apostle or an early church leader in in Rome or in North Africa or in Turkey, and and and, and so it applied whether regardless of geography, but also regardless of language, because whether you're speaking Greek or Latin or something else, in these early centuries, uh, the this body, this rule of faith was settled and it was really important to you. And it seems that in these early centuries, you would as a, as a lay person, as like a, a, you know, a, a regular person on the ground, as a follower of Jesus who had just been converted, you would memorize the Apostles' Creed as part of your training before being baptized. Um, but it actually goes back even further than the second and third centuries. The legend uh, goes kind of like this. That uh, in Scripture... Uh, after Pentecost, when uh, the apostles uh, gathered and they received the gift of tongues and the ability to speak in different uh, languages in order to take the gospel all over the place, um, the the twelve apostles each contributed twelve important statements, and those twelve statements came together as what we now consider the the Apostles' Creed. Now we can't confirm this legend, but we do understand that there was such a thing as the Apostles' teaching, because in the Book of Acts, chapter two, uh, verse forty-two, we it talks about how the uh, the early believers devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are some who believe that this. Um, apostles' teaching is that rule of faith. It's that that settled group of truths that the twelve apostles contributed. Um, so lots lots of people today believe that. Lots of early church fathers believe that this is what uh, this is what they were talking about in Acts chapter two when they say the apostles' teaching uh, it is these settled truths that became the apostles' creed. Now, why did they turn it into a creed? Like, what's the, what's the point of that? Why did the church formulate the creeds? Um, well, you, you know that, that we make creeds because Christianity says that what we believe matters. Like, we are, we are a faith that, that uh, prizes uh, beliefs. You know, we make the claim, as Christians, we make the claim that what we believe shapes our lives now and like how we live the choices we make the things we do and we don't do it also shapes the future like our future is going to be determined one way or another because of uh, like it's going to be determined one way or another based on what we believe today like the ideas and the 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 um the beliefs that we have so in uh just to illustrate that in romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 the apostle paul Uh, says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved now Paul goes on and he says something really important he says one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation now he's saying something again he's saying something really important how are we saved there? there's two things Uh, one is confession confession uh, the other is belief so, so this is what, what Paul has just given is sort of a creed, he said Jesus is Lord, that's the creed part if you confess it with your mouth but if you don't believe it in your heart that can't save right, so, so Paul's actually making a huge claim here, it's not just what we do or what we say that matters, although those are important but what we believe actually matters too I mean, if you're, if you're a parent, you know this, right? I mean, as I'm, I'm a parent. I've got three kids who I, I love and I really like. Um, and, and I can get my kids to comply with rules. You know, like I, I can motivate them to obey and to be nice little Pharisees. But I know that that is not my job as a parent. You know, as a parent, my job is to, to train my kids to want to do the right thing. I'm, I'm my job is to train up my kids to love righteousness. Now, how am I going to do that? I need them to believe that it's better. I need them to believe that wanting righteousness is better than wanting unrighteousness. If they don't believe that, then they're doing things for the wrong reason. They're not doing. They're not obeying because they believe it's right. It's it's good and right. They're they're obeying for the wrong reasons, and so our lives and our future it's shaped by what we believe and that's so that's really important and there's something else to see here though that's also important which is where belief comes from in this chapter or in this passage Romans 10 Paul tells us where belief happens it happens in the heart it happens in the heart now think about the choices that we make for a second where those come from how many of us how many of us know somebody who's making terrible choices right now? Do you know somebody who's just making some terrible life choices right now? I bet you do. You know, you, you know you, this is a, Maybe it's a person who, they're making terrible life choices, they just can't seem to help it. They can't seem to do otherwise. You know? How many of you have ever made a life decision that made no sense at the time? Like you don't know, as you think back, you, you, know, you look back in your rear view mirror you, you look back at your life and you're just like man, I have no idea what I was thinking when I made that decision and the truth is it's because we weren't thinking it's because we were feeling that's how we make our choices that's how we, you and I are going to make our way through the world we don't always do what makes sense right? we don't do what makes sense we always do what our heart says is best Okay, let me say that again we don't always do what makes sense but we will always do what our what our heart says is best and most beautiful and most important and so there's this this um there's a theologian named jamie smith he says that we don't do what we think we do what we love he says it's not what i think that shapes my life from the bottom up it's what i desire or what i love that animates my passion there is a sort of drive that pushes to act in certain ways and develop certain relationships, pursue certain goods and make certain sacrifices, enjoy certain things, and at the end of the day, if asked why we do this, ultimately we run up against the limits of articulation, even though we know why we do it, it's because of what we love. You hear that? It's because of what we love. And this is so important because as we study the Apostles' Creed over the next several weeks, um, we can put the Apostles' Creed on the screen. I can even get you to say it along with me, but we can't get you to love these truths. We can't get you to own this Apostles' Creed as your creed, and I, I hope that you will but it is, and it's important that you will but I, I acknowledge at the beginning I can't make you believe and own these truths as, uh, as, as your creed because belief comes from the heart now you might ask as we begin this series studying the Apostles' Creed is it actually okay to do this? like is it alright to study a creed? shouldn't we be studying a book of the Bible? well I, that's a good question that's a fair question because with a series like this, there is risk. You know, there's risk involved. Like if you came from a high church background, maybe you're like an Anglican or Catholic. Um, maybe you, you're in your tradition, you said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, and, and you miss it, and, and maybe it reminds you of what it was like to be a kid again. You know, isn't that? What, it's just it takes you back, and and so the risk here for you is that the tradition of the Apostles' Creed might become for you a substitute uh, for belief. Like saying the creed, Might that, that tradition of saying the creed might be a substitute for really believing those things for yourself. The risk is that the form, the the saying of the creed, would get in the way of its purpose or its function. And we don't want to just reclaim a tradition here. That's not why we're going and setting out on this study of the Apostles' Creed. Not just to reclaim a tradition, as beautiful as traditions are. We really want you to mean it when we say the Apostles' Creed. But there's also risk if you come from a low church background. Like, it, it, it might seem dangerous to you, because maybe you never said the Apostles' Creed, and maybe it's, it's new to you, and you're like, man, what, what's next? Are we going to start doing confession? Are we going to, you know, turn Mike into our priest or something? Like, is that the kind of church that we are now? And so here, the, the risk that you might be identifying is that you might assume that we are letting go of some of our distinctives. Uh, and And maybe we are you know maybe we 're going mainline or maybe we 're going Catholic or something maybe the the Bible is becoming less important because we're taking hold of the creed and 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 so for you that's the risk. I just want to say that 's not what 's going on here, so you can relax you can relax but if even if you come from no church background, if you came from no church background at all, it might be easy for you to think that by knowing and memorizing the Apostles' Creed, maybe that's what makes you a Christian. And, and, and I just want you to know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, in the same way, like I, you could imagine, I could take a map of Hamilton, right? And I, I could memorize it. I could become really familiar with the city by memorizing that map. But it doesn't make it my home. It doesn't make me a Hamiltonian. It doesn't mean that I belong here. And so the risk here is that some of us might be deceived, that as we memorize and as we dig into this, what, is, what is contained in this Apostles' Creed, what we don't want to happen is we don't want you to think that because you know the Creed, that makes you a follower of Jesus. That's not how this works. But instead, what should become clear as we go on is that this really isn't about the Creed at all. It's about the truth. It's about the truth. Amen. Um, so there's this theologian named Roger Olson. He's a, he's a, he, a, Christian, he's a Christian writer who I admire and uh, he draws a connection between the Apostles' Creed and the moon. He says the Apostles' Creed is like the moon. The moon doesn't have any light of its own. You know, the light that you see when you look at the moon is, is a reflected light, but the light uh, actually comes from the sun. Right? The sun, the source of the light that we see bouncing off the moon, is the, is come, it comes from the sun. And the Apostles' Creed is like that. As we go along, we're going to see why Christians believe these things, uh, and we're going to see that they come from the scriptures. So the goal here isn't mainly to know the Creed, but to know the truth, to love the, the truth, and to, to know the Jesus that the Apostles' Creed points us to. So we want to know the Apostles' Creed. That's one of the goals here. But the other goal in studying the Apostles' Creed is to know not just what we should believe, but how we should believe. Like, how do we hold on to these things? What sort of posture should we have as we, uh, as we hold on to these? What sort of posture should we take toward those who don't know of these things, or maybe don't believe these things, or haven't heard these things? How do we relate to people who don't agree with us? You know, hopefully if we do this right, uh, yeah, we'll be confident about what we believe, but hopefully it should humble us so that we're not jerks about it as well, okay? So today, what I want to do with the, the time remaining is I just want to answer the question, what do we mean when we say, I believe, which is the, be- the way the Apostles' Creed begins. It begins with the statement, I believe. What do we mean? So what do we mean when we say, I believe? And I'm going to answer that by sharing some reasons why I think that our faith is helped by having a, a, a creed. Uh, there, there are uh, five of these reasons. Five reasons why we should study the creed. One is because the creed provides a boundary. It gives us a boundary. It's like a fence. You know, if you have a good, a good fence around your backyard, it does a couple of things, right? The first thing that a, that, a, that a fence does is it creates a safe place inside for your pets and for your kids to play. It, it does that because it keeps certain things out. That's what a fence does. It keeps out the things that might be dangerous or unhelpful. It keeps out things like skunks and strangers and bullies. And it helps you to know where your yard ends and where your neighbor's yard begins. And the Apostles' Creed is like that. Okay, The Apostles' Creed is there to say that there are some ideas that need to stay out. They need to be kept out. And so if you want to say, you know, Jesus was just an idea. Jesus was not a real person. And there are some people who said that. The Apostles' Creed says, no, that is outside the bounds. And if you want to say, if you're somebody who wants to say, uh, there is no way that the God of the Old Testament and the Father of Jesus are the same being. And there are some people who said that. There are some people who are saying that right now. The Apostles' Creed says no. That is outside the fence. And if if you're somebody who says, uh, you know what, I don't need anybody. I I've got everything I need in Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I don't need church. I don't need the communion of saints. The Apostles' Creed says to you, no. And so again, the Apostles' Creed is a boundary. There there are there are simply some ideas that are wrong and untrue, and unhelpful. And even if the whole culture believes it, the Apostles' Creed says, no, that is not Christianity. That is outside the bounds. And so the Apostles' Creed is a boundary. The next idea related to that, the Apostles' Creed guards our unity. It guards our unity. So, you know, the other thing that offense does is that it keeps certain things in. It keeps in things that are important and and that we love. You know a good fence means that i can relax a bit while my kids and my pets play in the yard i don't need to worry that they're going to go get out uh, into the street and get hit by a car i don't if i have a good fence i don't need to worry that they're going to wander into the farmer's field next door and so 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 a good fence it yes it keeps some things out but it also keeps some things in that are worth protecting Right? So a fence is exclusive in some ways it is in, it is also inclusive in some ways. And, and And the thing that I find so helpful about this illustration of the fence is a good fence isn't too high and a good fence isn't too low. Let me say that again the thing about a good fence is it's not too high and it's not too low. Now you, you agree, I, I hope that the Apostles Creed, It could say a lot more, right? If if we wanted it to, we could include a lot more things in the Apostles' Creed, but but it doesn't include many, many more things than, like it just, there's just some things that are left out. There are some important issues that are just left out of the Apostles' Creed, and it seems to me that that's what churches and that's what denominations are for. Now, there are people who look at denominations and they see division. It, it looks to them like the, the body of Christ is divided. And, and I just want you to know, uh, I don't see it that way. I see unity. Uh, for me, a denomination says we are parts of the same body and we have a distinct mission or function. We have a distinct theology. We have a distinct practice that makes us unique from others. And I think that that's beautiful and important and it's worth preserving. And, and, and for me, that's why, uh, like if you grew up like, just so you know, if you grew up Presbyterian, you probably heard readings from the Westminster Confession. And if you grew up with, like, like in a, in a Lutheran tradition, you're probably familiar with the, the Heidelberg Catechism, right? So whatever confession you're familiar with, it doesn't replace the Apostles' Creed. No, like, no, no matter what kind of Christian you are, no matter what period you live in, you believe more than the Apostles' Creed. Of course, you do. You believe more than the Apostles' Creed, but there is no Christian who believes less. Let me say it again. No matter what kind of Christian you are, no matter what period you come from, you believe more than the Apostles' Creed, but there is no Christian who believes less than that. And that means that we have unity across the board we have unity for example with the reformers from 500 years ago who helped the church to recover the importance of scripture we have unity with them we have unity with the monks and the sisters who who held on to the christian who held on to the christian faith while europe sank into the dark ages we have unity with them we have unity with the early church Who argued with heretics and defended the faith and they were persecuted and they repeated these same words of the Apostles Creed as they marched into the Colosseum to be martyred and so Jamie Smith says uh, the Creed constitutes us as a historical people we are heirs to a tradition indebted to those who have handed on the faith across the generations I just think that's so beautiful so another reason we, why the, the creed is so important, the reason it's, so, it's worth studying is because the creed provides symmetry. It's, it provides symmetry. It, 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 uh, it's about balance, right? The, the creed makes a, a truth claim, for example, that Jesus was born of a virgin. And, and that sounds strange. It also makes the claim that, uh, that Jesus has provided forgiveness of sins. And, and now, we like that idea. Uh, it also talks about the resurrection of the body, which sounds cool. Life everlasting. Also cool. That the church is one and holy and Catholic. And and we hear that and we're like, oh. Uh, or there, there's the part where Jesus descended to the dead. We're like, uh, really? Or there's the part where God is the Father Almighty. And, we're, and some of us are like, well, really? What, is, what does Almighty mean? And And... In here, it's the, the balance is so, so important. Balance is so important. Like, how many of you know a Christian who only seems to think about one issue? He's like, he's like a, a one-issue voter. Like, when you're in conversation with, with him or her, it always seems to come around to that one issue that seems really important for that person. You know? How many of you know a person like that, right? Yeah, you do, don't you? Good. Like it's it's like there's there is one test for being a Christian. It all comes down to whether or not you agree with this person about that one issue. So can I just tell you something? Let me just give you a fun fact. That person has no symmetry. That person is off balance. Okay? That if that person's uh, if, if orthodoxy comes down to whether or not you agree with that one sort of secondary issue that for that person is really, really important. That's not balance. How many of you know that person? Yeah, uh, you do, don't you? Hopefully you're not that person. Hopefully you're not that person that other people uh, have in mind as they put their hands up. Um, But the creed takes these various truth claims and puts them all side by side and says that as Christians we don't pick and choose what makes for biblical Christianity. That, That matter is already settled. So we're not gonna emphasize some parts and ignore others. And we're we're not gonna uh, devalue some parts and and elevate others. We can't do that without getting Christianity out of balance. That's what the creed is for. It gives us symmetry, it gives us symmetry. So the next thing that I think the creed does, another reason why it's so important that we study the creed is because the creed creates humility, it creates humility. You know, we've seen that the creed doesn't answer every question, does it? It, 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 it leaves room for a, a number of possible biblical answers to important questions that you might have. You know, you could think of examples if you wanted to. Like, there's nothing in the Apostles' Creed about, uh, about the age of the earth. There's nothing in the Apostles' Creed about baptism or about, about race or about social justice or about euthanasia. There's nothing in there about whether Christians should be involved in politics, but those are important questions. And and you might wonder, like, wouldn't it be better if, if the creed did? Wouldn't it be more helpful? Wouldn't it have been helpful if the apostles had included that? Like, why didn't they why didn't they just bottom line it for us, give us the answers to all the questions we could conceivably ask? And I think the answer is to humble us. I think the apostles wanted to humble us. Listen, I, I, I know that I ha- don't have all the answers. I don't know if you knew that or not. I, Mike Molesky doesn't have all the answers, not even close. And the truth is, neither do you. And, and that's humbling to be able to acknowledge that. But you know what? Christianity isn't a system of answers to questions, it's a story of a person. It's a set of ideas about a person—a very important, beautiful, infinitely valuable, life-changing person. It is not a system of answers to questions. It's not just a body of of doctrines and and, and truth claims. It is a, it is a story of a person, a real person that is knowable, and 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 so and it's that is important to know because our response to those uh questions that we have shape how we think of that person our response to those ideas it shapes it's going to shape how we spend eternity think of that uh you know in in, in other worldviews, you are um you're saved by your effort okay like your knowledge saves you. You're saved by by grasping uh, and mastering a, this collection of ideas. And so, you know, here's person A, and person A comes along and says, "Well, of all the world religions, I've decided that Christianity is the best. It is the most consistent. It is uh, the one that answers the uh, it answers logically, cohere the best. It is the most sophisticated and." I can defend it with great evidences and arguments and if you're as smart as I will as smart as I am then you're going to believe it too um, let, me, let me begin that part again I think the creed creates humility it creates humility uh, we've seen that the creed doesn't answer every question that we have it, it leaves room for a lot, of, a lot of possible biblical answers to good questions that you might have I mean there's nothing in the apostles creed about the age of the earth nothing in there about baptism or race or about social justice or euthanasia nothing in there about whether Christians should be involved in politics now would it be better if it did Wouldn't, like, like why didn't the apostles bottom line it for us I think the answer is to to humble us. Listen, I don't have all the answers, and neither do you. And and it, it's humbling to realize that we don't have all the answers. But you know what? Christianity isn't a system of answers to questions. It is the story of a person. It's a set of ideas that point us to a person, and and our response to those ideas is it matters because it shapes how we spend eternity. So how we feel how we respond to those ideas about this person that shapes how we spend eternity so think of that now there are worldviews in which you are uh you believe you are saved you find salvation by your own human effort you know your it's your knowledge it's your striving that saves you you maybe you're you're mass, you're saved because you mastered a set of ideas and so um so you know imagine here along comes person a Person A says, All right, uh, of all the world religions, I have decided that Christianity is the best, the most consistent. It's, uh, its answers logically cohere. It is sophisticated, and I can defend it with great evidences and arguments. And if you are a smart person like me, then you will believe it too. Well, listen, hey, I totally get person A. Like, I, I love apologetics, but that, what that person just described is not faith. And that, now imagine, along comes person B, okay? Person B comes along and says, I have studied the creed. I know it. I have memorized it. I, I have it down. I know it backwards and forwards. I believe the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I have the t-shirt. I've got the tattoo. And most important, I believe the creed. I own it. It's mine. I believe it. And And that's really great. Great for you, person B. Um, but then you've got person C, who comes along and who says, you know, I don't understand how all of this stuff fits together. I don't get it. I, I I know it's true somehow. But I. you know what? I got questions, man. I got questions. And you know what? I just want you to know, that's okay. It's okay to be person C. Because in Christianity, according to what we read in Romans 10, person C is just as accepted by God as person B. Isn't that good news? The one who has questions and doubts, that person is just as accepted as the person who believes they've got it all figured out. And that is a really important function of the creed. Humility. It humbles us. It humbles us. And and the last function of the creed that I just think is so important is that the creed states our identity. Okay? The, the, the creed states our identity. The creed is a boundary. The creed guards our unity. The creed provides symmetry. The creed creates humility. And the last purpose, the last function uh, of the creed that I think makes it so important for us to study is that this, the creed states our identity. You know, it expresses what we feel is most essential, most important you know, everybody does that, by the way. Every, everybody's got a creed. Whether it is stated uh, ex- explicitly or not, everyone has a creed. You have a creed. Did you know that? You, do you, have you ever thought of the fact that you have a creed? Of course you do. Everybody's got a creed. Consumerists have a creed. The, creed, the consumerist creed is, I believe in the dollar almighty, my right to consume whatever I want in heaven and earth. And The, the humanists have a creed. Humanist creed is like I believe in me and my rights. What I want is more important than anything in heaven and earth. There's a postmodernist creed. The postmodernist creed I think goes like this: I believe there is no place for truth or authority. I believe in deconstructing everything in heaven and earth. And and there's a there's a naturalist creed. Uh, I think the naturalist creed would go like this: I I don't believe in anything. I can't see. Uh, I believe the strong survive and the weak get eaten and and i don't know if you ever thought of that but can i just encourage you like what if you were to sit down over the next week or so with your journal and just put together a, a, a set of the truest most important realities that you believe in the universe like what would your collection of, of truth statements include you know if, if you were to put together a statement of like what you've built your life on what would be in it you might actually find that to be a really helpful, uh, worshipful uh, exercise to, to write down your own creed. Um, but in all of this, what we've seen is that belief happens not, just, not mainly in the mind, but in the heart. And that, that, that means that for followers of Jesus, a creed is, is not just ideas, but it's, this, a creed is about who we are. It's about our place in the world. And stating the creed, that is how we express our identity. Like, yeah, I know there are a lot of worldviews available. And and of all the available worldviews, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And, and we could go on obviously like but but the the creed declaring the creed is a way of saying this is who i am this is what matters to me this is what i take my stand on i i trust in this amen i lean on this the world makes sense because of this that's what a creed does and 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 so it declares our our identity it states our identity and so Uh, I'm just going to invite us to stand as we close uh, this week because what we're going to be doing today and over the next several weeks when we're together studying this creed is we're going to stand and we're going to say the creed out loud together as a statement of the boundary uh, around us, as the statement of our unity that we share together, as a statement of symmetry and humility and identity. Let's confess together uh, this Apostles' Creed. So I believe in God the Father Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening.